you've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Chat with Traders is sponsored by Trade the Pool. Are concerns about limited buying power, insufficient capital, or fear of losing your own money preventing you from advancing your trading capabilities? Trade the Pool is an online stock trading prop firm that offers funding for stock traders. Demonstrate your skills, trade their capital, and keep your profits. You can engage in intraday trading and now swing trading on Trade the Pool with any U.S. stock or ETF. The procedure is straightforward. Pay an evaluation fee, successfully complete the evaluation, and get funded. Visit tradethepool.com forward slash chat to learn more. The biggest secret of the best traders in the world is that they're just like everyone else. However, they've worked hard to learn the markets and discover what works and what doesn't. But how can you hear about these journeys and get in on the strategies and tactics they use? You can do it by listening to Chat with Traders. Here's your host, Aaron Fifield. Hey there, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 17. This week, we're swinging price with equities trend trader, Jason Levitt. Like many who get into trading, Jason had no formal education in the field. Actually, Prior to trading full-time, he was waiting tables in a restaurant as well as bartending. This is where he began swing trading and to this day, Jason is still primarily a swing trader. Riding trends anywhere from a few days or a few weeks, sometimes it's even a matter of months when his aim is to take out the large chunk of the move. Ultimately, the market environment dictates his holding time. This is somewhat similar to the way I like to trade, so I found many of the answers Jason gives out during this interview to be particularly interesting, and I'm sure you will too, regardless of the time frame you trade. Also, in the later part of this interview, Jason shares a story about the wildly successful independent traders he's met and the one standout trait they all have in common, which is again, really insightful. Also, just want to mention that Jason is prepared to take anyone's questions, so if there's something you'd like to ask him, just go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash Jason, scroll to the bottom of the page and drop a comment in the section there and Jason will get back to you with an answer. All right, guys, enjoy the interview and I will catch you soon. Hey, Jason, how you going? Good, Aaron. Good to be on your show. I've listened to a lot of your, uh, a lot of your shows that you've already posted and I'm, I'm happy to be part of the bunch. Nice, man. I appreciate it. I'm certainly not going to say it's the same, but from, from what I've seen, I think there are quite a few similarities between how you trade and how I trade um, as far as sort of swing trading the bigger moves. So hopefully I'll have some great questions to ask you, you know, throughout the interview and uh, listeners will learn a lot from your answers and insights. Let's just kick this off by telling us about your early days when you were just beginning to get into trading and sort of where did the interest come from? 
Okay. Um, so I don't really have a, a sexy story to tell where I started out on, uh, started out, um, you know, I did, I wasn't raised in a finance oriented family. It's not like on Sunday mornings there were, you know, the stock tables were thrown on the kitchen table, uh, and we went over things. Um, I really just, I, I didn't know that much about wall street. I had no interest. Um, but it was a late nineties tech stocks were doing great. Um, I just want to make some money. Um, I don't, I didn't think it would end up being a career. Um, I actually didn't have that much interest in it. Um, I just saw people making money with tech stocks and I figured, you know, I want to get involved. Um, I want to make some money. Once I got involved and I kind of saw the problem solving aspect of it, my, my background was as an engineer. <clears throat> when I saw the problem solving aspect of it, um, the puzzle aspect, um, Wall Street was kind of a mystery to me. That kind of drew me in closer. Um, I saw stocks do things that didn't make sense. Um, and while to some that would be confusing, I actually thought it was kind of fascinating. Um, I, saw com- I saw companies come out with earnings and they'd beat and the stock would go up and I'd see another company come out with earnings and they'd beat and the stock would go down. Or analysts would come out and upgrade or downgrade stocks and sometimes they go up, sometimes they go down. Um, sometimes things made sense, other times they didn't. Uh, and again, while this to some people would raise a red flag that they, you know, they would just throw up their hands and say this just doesn't make any sense. Um, it actually was fascinating to me. It, it, to me, it was a big problem-solving thing. It, to me, it was like a puzzle that needed to be put together. Um, so at first, it was the money that kind of pulled me in the door, and then it was like the problem-solving aspect of Wall Street like kind of kept me there. Uh, then after watching the market and familiarizing myself with things, <clears throat> um, just you know, playing around, buy a couple stocks, sell a couple stocks, and just kind of learning, you know, learning a little bit about what's going on, I actually realized that like, hey, this could be a career. Um, I could make a solid income. I had no big grand illusions on being like a hedge fund manager and managing billions of dollars. But I thought like, hey, this could be a pretty good career. I could I could make a solid income. I could trade from anywhere. Um, like literally, like I just got back from Costa Rica. I lived in Costa Rica for 18 months. And I would not have been able to do that if I had a normal job. Um, I saw that it potentially could give me freedom. Um, not a ton of freedom because the market opens and closes at the same time every day. Um, but still more freedom than I'd have in a job. Um, but so overall, it was kind of appealing. So I guess you can say like the money was initially what kind of drew me to it. And then the problem solving aspect kind of brought me in closer. And then when I realized that like, hey, this could be a career, I can make a decent income. Um, I decided to, to go for it. I decided to, to dedicate myself to trading and see what I could do. Okay, that's that's great. So what was your job sort of at the time when you started to get into trading? Okay, at, at the time I got into trading, I was a bartender. Um, I went to college to become an engineer. I have a BS and MS in engineering, um, but I spent most of my 20s working in restaurants, bartending, waiting tables. Um, so that's that's what I did at the time. Uh, and it actually helped quite a bit because I could work, uh, you know, a lot of traders, they, they start out and they dream, they wish, they're like, man, I wish I could be a full-time trader. And I, I, I'd accelerate my learning process if I could actually be in front of the market all day. And to, to that, I was actually kind of lucky because as, as, as a restaurant employee, I would, I'd work nights and weekends a lot. And so my days, you know, at least, at least a couple days a week, I was free, um, to, to closely monitor the market. That's cool. So what were some of the first things you started to learn about when you were getting into trading and, and where were you actually learning from? Um, I am, I, I went to the school of hard knocks, everything I know about the market. Um, I read from reading books, reading a little bit on the internet, but when, when I started in the, the late nineties, early two thousands, um, it, it's not like there, it's not like today where you have podcasts and like really good blogs and, you know, financial websites. I mean, back then it was, you go to like the Yahoo finance pages or the Yahoo finance message boards and, uh, they weren't very good. Um, as, as you probably have heard. Um, so everything I learned was reading books 
and just making trades and being very objective and keeping track of what I did, keeping track of what, what worked and what didn't work and uh, just kind of slowly iterating myself, iterating my way towards uh, like a solid strategy that I could, uh, that I could execute. Um, I wish I had somebody who could put their arm around my shoulder and say, let me show you the way I wish I knew. I wish there was like a book or two that I could point to and say like that one book really, you know, everything I do, like I got from that book, but it wasn't like that. It was, it was more like read a book and grab like one little nugget out of it, read another book, grab one little nugget out of it. And over the course of time reading, you know, 30, 40 books and making hundreds of trades, I just, I literally just iterated my way towards a strategy that I could, uh, that, you know, that worked for me and, uh, and something that I could execute on a pretty regular basis. Okay. Something you mentioned in there, which I'd just like to pick up on is you said you were tracking your trades and your progress. How were you sort of, how'd you go about documenting that and actually tracking it? Um, I, you know, I, because I wasn't formally trained, I didn't have, uh, you know, it's not like I was handed a spreadsheet and someone said like, you got to fill this out for every single trade. For me, it was just do a trade and did it work? Did it not work? Why did it work? Why didn't it work? You know, did it work because like, hey, this is a good setup in a, in a good conducive environment. You got in at a good time. You managed it well and it worked out. Sometimes they were like that. And I could say like, haha, I'm onto something that works. Other times I do everything right and they didn't work. Um, sometimes I get in, it was it would be an average setup and I'd get lucky. Sometimes I'd, I was unlucky. So I didn't have an official, you know, way back at the beginning when I didn't, you know, didn't really know what I was doing. I didn't have an official record keeping system. Um, but I generally speaking, uh, just kind of kept track of like what was working, what wasn't working. And I was very objective. I would never, you know, if, if I, if I was lucky, I would admit that like, all right, you did something stupid, but you got lucky. So don't do that again. Uh, and other times I'd make a good trade and it wouldn't work out. And I would say, Hey, I did everything right. It didn't work out. That's just the way it goes. Do that a hundred times and you're going to win more than you lose. Um, so no official record keeping system because I didn't know even what one of those would look like. Um, but I generally would just kind of keep track of everything and be as objective as I possibly could. Okay. That's great. You obviously didn't stay a bartender forever. So how did you transition from being a bartender to becoming a full-time trader? Like what was the tipping point for you? Um, luckily the tipping point was just like you go through a period where you just, feel like, holy cow, everything is starting to click. Um, mistakes that you had made in the past, you're not making. Um, losses that may have gotten away from you in the past, you're not letting that happen again. Um, you, you, you know, back in, that was back in the day, like in the early 2000s, where you know, you'd get an analyst that would go on CNBC and they'd talk up a stock and the stock would gap up and they'll like immediately fall down after the open. And you wouldn't fall for that kind of a trick. Um, you go through a period where it's like, wow, this is actually happening. I'm like, things are starting to click. You know, I'm just more consistent with my methods. I'm not like flying by the seat of my pants. Like I actually have some sort of like clear strategy that I can execute and, and things are like falling into place. Now for me, <clears throat> I did, luckily because being a restaurant employee, I did not have to just suddenly make the jump. Okay. If you're obviously, if you're a regular employee and you work a normal job and you like dream about being a full-time trader, at some point in time, you might have to make the jump and actually quit your job and do it, which I don't, I don't know if I'd, I'd advise because, um, you know, there's nothing wrong with being, you know, if, per my way of trading, there's nothing wrong with having a job. Like you can actually trade and have a job at the same time as long as you can have access to the market once in a while during the day. 
Um, but as a restaurant employee, it was easy for me to transition because I could work nights and weekends and basically be in front of the market um, on most days. So like the very last year um, that, I, that I bartended, I actually worked once a week on a Saturday night. That, that's all I did because I was, ba- I was pretty much a full-time trader Monday through Friday. And then I just worked every Saturday night. I made a little bit of, I made whatever money and that was just the money I had for the month. Luckily for me, I didn't have to just take the plunge. I could just ease into it um, because of my job. Something you said in there about sort of how things just started to click. When things weren't clicking for you, was there ever a point when you sort of questioned yourself and maybe thought maybe trading's not for me? Did you go through a stage like that? I did not. And that is more of a function of my personality type that I I was young. um, Risk meant nothing to me. Uh, It meant absolutely nothing for me to, you know, take huge positions that like that were way beyond what I should have taken. Um, you know, like it wasn't uncommon. Like when I had like 50 grand, it wasn't uncommon for me to buy 4,000 shares of a stock and hold it overnight, even though you're not supposed to do that. And the market could open the next day up or down, or that stock can open up or down like two points the next day. And I could immediately be up or down eight grand on a $50,000 account. And it like didn't even phase me. So for just a personality type of mine, like it, it, I, I never doubted it. Even when I had a bad, a bad day, bad week, bad month, um, even when I got, you know, my account got cut in half, which happened numerous times, uh, and I've had some pretty big losses. Um, it always, it never, I never doubted it. I just maybe it's a fault of mine, uh, you know, because maybe I'd pursue something someday that I don't have any business pursuing. But I, it never, it never phased me to the point of uh, wanting to give it up. But usually, if I had a bad day. I was living in Chicago at the time. I can just go for a walk, go for a walk down Lake Michigan, clear my mind for a couple hours. And I usually can come back and kind of give myself a little pep talk and say like, all right, we've done it before. Let's do it again. Uh, Let's, you know, let's circle the wagons. Let's start from scratch. Let's come on, let's do this. Let's not make these mistakes again. So it really didn't phase me that much. I never really had thoughts of giving up even when I had some tough times early on. Okay, so you would sort of say that your psychology was in a pretty good place right from the word go? In regards to my confidence level, yes. It doesn't mean I didn't get pissed off when things wouldn't go my way. But yeah, from a confidence standpoint, and I'll admit that if I was starting to trade right now, it might be harder because I'm older. But back then, at my age, I don't know, I guess there's, there's something good about being really young and slightly naive that actually helps you succeed a little bit. Yeah, I think that's a really good point. What sort of time period are we talking about from when you sort of started to get into trading to when you actually became full-time and really going for it? Um, so I started in 99, traded late 99, early 2000. Um, I would say about the fall of 2000 is when I really went like full-time. Um, not full time because I could not not be not full time because I was making enough money to justify going full time, but full time because I finally had enough money in my account to actually, um, you know, to consider myself kind of a full time trader. Like up until then, like I started my account with very little, with just a couple thousand. I eventually deposited more and more, and eventually got it up to ten thousand, uh, and then I traded it up to like sixty five thousand. Um, and I and I, I went from there, and I lost money in, the, in the, when the dot com bubble burst, and then I made it back. Uh, and then as I started making it back, that's kind of when I went like full time um, again. Not because I had enough money, or not because I was good enough, but just because like I had enough money 
that I could actually trade. Like when you first start out and you only have 10 grand, there's, there's not a whole lot you could do. But when you have 50, 60 grand upwards of a hundred, which is what I had, um, that's when I could like, Hey, I can actually take like two or three positions and I could hold them for a little bit and I can get out of one position and move into another position if I wanted. Um, so that's about it. So about a year after I started, I like started acting like a full-time trader, even though I wasn't good enough. Uh, and then I would say like, it was probably another year to a year and a half before I was like really, like, like I said before, where I really like kind of crossed the threshold and said like, wow, things are clicking and I'm really like, this, this is actually happening. I'm actually doing it. It's, you know, I'm actually, you know, no more hoping and that, that it'll work and uh, no more having to rescue myself after getting my account cut in half. So the total amount of time was probably about two and a half years between when I started and when I actually got to the point where I could go full time and actually live off my trading. Okay. And when you made that transition, did you sort of notice any difference in your actual trading? Were there, did you sort of experience new challenges when you were solely relying on your trading for an income than what you had in sort of the two years prior? Yeah. Um, well, first of all, like I said, like the last year I was only working like once, once a week at the restaurant, you know, so I had a little bit of an introduction. Like I didn't make enough at the restaurant to actually fully support me. I mean, I was young. I just had like a small studio apartment in Chicago. My bills were really low. I was very accustomed to living well below my means. Um, so I made almost a much, almost enough to, to cover my expenses, but not, not quite. So I had a little bit of an introduction. It wasn't like, boom, your job just got cut off and you're relying on a hundred percent. Um, but yeah, at the beginning there, there's definitely some, you know, you wake up in the morning, you're like, holy cow, this is like, there's no more paycheck. There's nothing else to rely on. It's like you, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's all you. There's like, there's like no, there's nothing else. There's no safety net here. Well, there's a safety net. You can go get a job again. But, um, but there definitely was a couple months where it like felt really weird that like, wow, I'm truly on my own here. Like I mentioned at the start, I'm keen to dig into more about your methods of trading. So firstly, how would you best define your style or approach to the markets? I would describe myself as a trend trader. Um, I, I mostly zero in on chart patterns, but I, uh, you know, the bigger picture is I am a trend trader, uh, and within the trends and like, I'll, I'll keep, I'll keep knowledge of like what the big picture trend is. And then within the trends, there are going to be minor trends. Um, so if I, if I were to sum it up in one sentence, I would say like I chart, I trade chart patterns within, uh, within the major trends. Okay. Two questions. What markets are you most active in and what would you say is your average holding time on any given trade. Okay, so I trade US stocks, that's pretty much it. I've, I've done futures and I still do them occasionally, but I don't focus on them. I've done options and I've done well with them, but I found that like if I try to do too many things at once, I, the, the distraction actually takes away from, from profits and such. I'm 100% focused on just US stocks. My average holding time, it's a good question. I would, cla- I would group my trades into two broad groups, <clears throat> okay? Trades are either relatively short term, which means I'm in, I'm out within a couple days, maybe a week at the most. I'm only looking for four or five, six percent, maybe ten percent if I get lucky. Um, it's a good pattern. The, the the market is the market environment is good, but for whatever reason, maybe there's maybe there's resistance overhead. Maybe there's um, there's a lack of support in the group. Maybe the entire market is maybe trading in like you know the big picture might be uh, up, but maybe 
maybe the, maybe in the short term it's like trading range bound. Um, maybe the personality of the stock is such that like, hey, you're only going to get a quick pop for five percent, and that's it. Um, so trades fall into that category of like, I'm 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 in, I'm out. Uh, and I'm not going to bargain. I'm not going to negotiate. I'm not looking for a big move. Um, I just want to make a quick buck in a few days or a week. The other group of trades I have are actual longer term trades where I'm trying. To, I, I want to ride a bigger trend. I, I want to ride a bigger trend. Um, a lot, not not the not the market trend, but I'm riding, I'm trying to ride like a trend within a, a particular group. Um, and those are trades that I want to hold for as long as I can, six months, nine months, 12 months. Okay. So again, I'm, I'm either, I'm either quick. I just want to make a quick buck or I really want to give stocks time and space to play out because there are like prevailing winds that are going to carry a particular group for several months. And I want to be able to ride that, um, as, as far as I could. Okay, so so it, it's it's important. Like before I enter every trade, I literally like tell myself, like, is this just a quick trade, or is this the type of trade that you're trying to hold? Because how you manage those is going to be entirely different. Okay, and when you're analysing the trends, what sort of chart are you looking at? Are you looking at maybe sort of a daily, or maybe even zooming out further to a weekly chart for those? Yeah, I'm, I do almost all my work on a daily chart. Um, occasionally, I will look at uh, my the charting software I use, which is Telechart by Warden Brothers. Um, they have a, a fun they have a a function where you could instead of having you know you can have a daily chart, which is one day is you know each candle is a day. They have a thing where you can switch it to like every every candle is two days, or every candle is three days, every candle is four days, and then of course the weekly chart is every candle is five days. So I find that the weekly is like too far. Like I can't make decisions based on the weekly chart because it's just it covers too much ground. So if I want to take a step up from the daily chart, I'll jump to that two-day candle. So it gives me a slightly longer-term view. Um, but most of the work I do is on the daily. Okay. And how do I say this? Why do you have the two sort of really defined approaches? So you've got your one trade where you might be in it for a couple of days. And then the other, you said, could be upwards of six months. What's your sort of strategy there of having the two different um, approaches instead of you know maybe just just only taking the the shorter term trades yeah i think it just goes back to the beginning um when i was taking a lot of trade i like i'd get into a trade and let's say i'd buy a stock of 30 and i'd get out at like 32 or 33 but then it would go up to 40 or 45 and i'd say like oh man i you know why why did i sell that it went up to 33 and it pulled back a little bit and like there was nothing wrong with the overall trend and there was no reason to like panic and get out like i could hold that and make you know it's a lot easier to just nail a 15 or 20 point move one time than it is to nail a two or three point move 10 times. So then like the next trade I would get in and I'd say, all right, this is it. I'm going to put it, I'm going to use a loose stop. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to give it some time and space. I want to, I want to see if this thing could fully play out. I want to try and nail a big move. And that one would just go against me and I'd have like a 10% profit turn into like a break even trade or, or even a loss. And I did this, you know, not, I did this like dozens of times over the course of like a long time, like at least a year. And, and then I, I kind of just kind of came to the conclusion that like, you know what, you have to categorize trades. Um, they either need to be quick or they need to be longer term and you can't mix them up because if you, uh, if you know, like oil stocks last year, like in February, March, April, May, all the way up until the July, the July high, um, I had a handful of oil stocks that I just held for like six months, and 
like I would just, I, I held a core position and every time they pull back, I would just, I would buy some more. And then when they'd like make a new high and make a higher high, I'd, I'd take some off. And then I would just, I would trade around a core position and just hold and trade around and tr trade around um, the core position. But if I would have gotten out like, you know, three days later, then I would have watched, you know, 30, 40, 50% gains go without me being in it. But then there's other trades that like, they're not going to go 40, 50%, you know, like a housing stock is, you know, maybe it could pop 5%, but like to, to sit back and, and hope that it's going to go 50% over the next six months, it's just not going to happen. So, I mean, I, the reason why I categorize trades like that is simply because I, I made so many trades early on. Um, I got lucky sometimes I was unlucky. Sometimes I made good decisions, bad decisions and getting feedback, you know, real time feedback from trades just made me realize that like you got to be one or the other. Um, because if you're somewhere in the middle you're probably gonna, you're probably going to lose. Cause if you're in the middle, that's where it's, that's where a stock will go up 10% and then pull back and you panic right at the worst time. And then it keeps going. So just, just making lots of trades, you know, forced me into this, this frame of mind where I'm just trying to make a quick buck or, Hey, there's a major theme that I'm riding here and I want to give it every opportunity to play out. Okay. And I think you sort of touched on it there, but just to sort of elaborate a little bit more, how are you defining if this trade is going to be a short term or when we say short term, sort of like a week long trade or one of your trades, that's going to be a big picture move. Um, is it just sort of what sector that stock falls into or is there something more? It's a combination of what sector it falls into and if there are like prevailing themes. Um, so for example, with oil, uh, and I'll, I'll, I'll say like solar is somewhat related to oil. So as I said, like at the beginning of last year, I ran, I, I rode several oil stocks up for big gains and I just held stocks and traded around a big position. But that's because oil was trading up at like 90 and over 100 for many, you know, several consecutive months. And it was a pretty safe place to be. Um, and I mean, it felt safe. Like you could tell that like stocks would gap down and then they'd rally or they'd pull back and then they'd immediately and then they'd immediately get bought up. Like you can, you can sense the strength in the market. Um, oil was high. Everything was, you know, everything was kind of hunky dory. There was, you know, it was, everything was good. When things turned down, um, the entire group went down. So you got to sell. And if you if you want to go short, you can go short. But yeah, it, it did, like and right now a major theme is the dollar. You know, the U.S. dollar is is super strong. Pretty much all the currencies across the world are super weak. So anything that is gonna um, do well in a strong, well, not much is going to do well in a strong dollar environment. That's, that's not my trade. That's not the trade that I want to get into, but anything that any commodity based, um, stock that is, that is not going to do well because of a, a strong dollar, such as oil, such as gold and silver, such as other commodities like steel and iron or, uh, like not building materials, but just like industrial metals like uh, copper or aluminum. Um, th this would be a major theme. The dollar is strong. Therefore, any of these commodities that are going to be priced in dollars are going to be weak. And this is this is a trend that could last for months or, or, or much longer. Um, so, yes, like t t t the short answer to your question is, yes, it ba it's based on the sector and it's based on like some sort of prevailing theme or story that's going that's going on at that point in time. OK, and just expanding on that a little bit further, how does the overall market sort of impact your trading decisions on individual stocks? So if the Dow or the S&P is sort of in a chop, you know, uh, sideways range, are you hesitant to sort of enter into a big long term move? 
Absolutely. This is one of the things, if you were to ask me, like, what got you over the hump, like, you know, early in the day, early in, in my early days, um, when you cross that threshold, what, what got me over the hump? I would say the one important thing that like enabled me to cross the hump was my, when I, when I was trading early on, I would trade in a vacuum. Okay. I would just, if I had a good setup, I would take it and be completely blind to what was going on in the overall market. And when I realized that like, Hey, I need to be somewhat in sync with the market. That's when I started to be more consistent. That's when I started to keep my profits. Cause I was really good at making money, but then I was really good at giving it back. And when I started to realize that like I can't just trade in a vacuum I have to be synced up with the market I started doing much better so yes absolutely if the market's in a range which it's been other than the February rally it's been in a range since like the beginning of November um, w- without question I'm telling myself Jason this is a short-term trade because the market is in a range and you know you can't expect a big move right now <clears throat> so yes that that's a that's a it's a huge thing um, to keep to, to keep track of uh, you know what the overall market is doing and what a particular group is doing. Okay, so if it is sort of in that sideways range, you're just sort of disregarding the long term positions for sort of six months and upwards, and you're just sort of focusing on your shorter term trades. So that's sort of what helps you decide additionally. Yeah, like I've had some oil shorts over the last six months, which I've been able to hold you know for longer than a week. Um, I haven't held them for like six months, but I've held them longer than a week. But yes, if the, if the market is range bound, like I'm, I immediately shift into like, I just, I'm just trying to make a buck. I just, you know, I'm in, I'm out within a few days. I just want to make 5%, maybe 10% if I'm lucky. Um, I'm not going to force things. I've, I've done that before. Um, if the market's going to be trading a range, then I'm just going to, I'm going to take what it gives me. Um, that, that, that's what I, that's, that's all I, that's all I could do. It's, you know, it's like I, I, I play baseball and it's like, if the pitcher throws you a curveball in the outside corner, like you're probably not going to hit it over the fence. So just try and get a base hit. And that's all I do. It's like, I, I can't call the market. I can't tell the market what to do. If it's going to trade in a range, then I have to mentally shift into a frame of mind where like, Hey, I'm just trying to make five or 10% over and over and over. I'm going to be ahead of the curve taking profits. Um, I'm not going to really use a trailing stop or something like that, because by the time the stock gets hit, I've given back most of my profits. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna be, I just in and out, quick trades, last a couple days or a week um, until the range resolves one way or another, and then maybe I could shift. Um, so I'm more careful, I'll still do longer term trades. For example, like with oil being so weak and some of the industrial uh, metal and mineral stocks are have been pretty weak. Um, but yeah, my focus is definitely like, hey, the market conditions are such that you have to be content and happy with smaller gains um, and just go with those. Because you fall into a big, you get yourself in trouble when it's like, hey, here's a great setup and it moves and you're like, hey, maybe this could be a long-term trade. And then after it moves you know, a few points, it comes right back down and you realize like, well, what I, what I expect, the market's range bound. Of course, it's going to happen. Yeah, that's a really valuable point. You know, I really appreciate you sort of digging into the details there. You've seen the headlines. Bonds are making a comeback. But if you've ever tried to invest in bonds, you know what a clunky, complicated, broken experience it can be. That's why at Public, they took fixed income and fixed it. Now you can find, evaluate, and buy thousands of bonds with an investing experience designed this century. They started at the beginning, reimagining the bond screener with an intuitive design that helps you zero in on the exact kinds of bonds you're looking for. Then 
they made it easier to evaluate each investment opportunity with better data in the places you need it most. Finally, they made investing in bonds as straightforward as stocks or any other asset. Add fixed income to your portfolio with corporate, treasury, and municipal bonds. Go to public.com forward slash bonds podcast to get started. This podcast is sponsored by Public. Full disclosures can be found at public.com forward slash bonds. Are you a developing or seasoned day trader who trades the U.S. markets? Is the only thing stopping you from getting to the next level is having enough capital to trade? Trade the Pool is a unique online stock trading prop firm that funds stock traders worldwide. Not having to risk your own capital can help you focus on other things like making better decisions on your trades. There's no PDT rules to worry about. You got more than 12,000 stocks and ETFs to trade, long or short, and professional tools at your side. How you get funded is you show them your skills through a straightforward evaluation process. Once you pass the evaluation, you get funded and trade with their pool of money and split the profits. Don't let the lack of buying power, capital, or fear of losing your own money prevent you from taking your trading to the next level. Visit tradethepool.com slash chat to learn more. How do you go about scanning stocks for potential setups? Um, I use, as I said, I use Telechart. I think it's called Tele- Telechart, TC2000 by Warden Brothers. Um, I've been using it for, you know, almost since day one, since like 2000. Um, I, so like the first thing I'll do is I'll telechart categorizes all the, all the they, they have all the indexes already um, broken out. So you can look at every stock in the NASDAQ 100 and the S&P 100 and the S&P 400 and the Russell and blah, blah, blah. So the first thing I will do is I will just literally like visually scan through, the, through a bunch of charts. Um, I'll go through all the stocks in the S&P 100, the NASDAQ 100. I'll look at like the top volume stocks in the S&P 400, um, the mid caps. I'll look at the top volume stocks in the in the Russell 2000 small caps, and I literally like with with Telechart, you can just hit your space bar and go click 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 click, and you can just go from one chart to the next to the next. And so my first my first scan through is I'm just visually recognizing patterns that look attractive to me. Okay, so I've I've done it long enough that. Um, that I guess I'm, I'm pretty good at just like pulling out the ones that I, that I like. So once I go through all those, I'll have a list of, you know, if trading is good, like I might have a hundred stocks on that list. If trading is not so good, you know, it's up, it's down, it's all over the place and you don't have a really good trend. Um, I may only have like 20 or 30. Once I have that list, I like to zero in on the stock on, on, I trade stocks. I tend to trade stocks in groups. So once I have that list, if I notice that there are like a couple of solar stocks on the list, I immediately pull up like the solar list, and I want to look at all the stocks on the solar list because if one or two or three of the stocks look good, hey, maybe there's more. So that's my second. You know, that's my second run through. The first run through is I'm just going to visually look at four or five, six hundred charts and pull out the ones that look the best to me. The second step is I'm going to I'm going to notice which stocks or which groups are most represented in that list. And I want to like look inside those groups because at any given time, um, there, there tends to be a handful of groups that are, uh, that are doing either really well or really poorly. And I want to focus on the ones that are doing really well. Um, that was one of the other realizations I made early on. I said like, one, you know, one of the things that got me over the threshold was like not trading in a vacuum and actually being aware of what the overall mark was doing. Another thing that helped me get over the, over the hump was, when I realized that like the stocks that tended to do well, the trades that tended to do well tended to come from groups 
um, where the entire group was doing well. It had group strength. And, the, and the, a lot of the trades that didn't do very well, they were just an isolated um, an isolated stock that looked really good, but it didn't have group it didn't have group support. Um, so that's 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 what I'm looking for next. Is after I go through the whole thing and I narrow it down, then I'm going to go inside the groups and pull out the ones that look best. After that, it just becomes a, a question of like, let me go through and pull out, maybe like narrow it down to like my top ten or fifteen, like as as I head into the week, and then each particular day. Um, I'll probably narrow it down to like one or two or three or maybe zero, just depending on what's what's going on. Okay. So if you're swing trading over these periods of time, it's possible that a lot of opportunities could start to sort of come onto your radar and um, start to trigger. So how many positions could you be into at any given time? And what are your views on diversifying between long and short trades? Generally speaking, I think like diversification is something you do when you don't know what to do. I tend to be weighted um, in a couple different groups at any given time and not diversified very much as far as like the number of groups that are represented. For example, if I, if I'm on if I'm on five or, if I'm in six or you know six or seven positions, um, it's typically like three position three stocks in one group, you know, two stocks from another group and two stocks from another from like a third group. I don't you know, so from that standpoint I'm not represented as far as like the number of groups um that I that I'm, that I'm in at any given time. Um I tend to just realize that like, hey, this particular group is weak or this particular group is strong. So I want to like focus on that and I might have two or three trades within that group at any given time. Um as far as number of trades any given if they're short term I'd rather not have more than four or five. You know, I'm not a hedge fund. I'm not trading a billion dollars. Um, I'm trading my own account, just trying to make money. And uh, and I find if I have too many positions, then I, I get distracted. And uh, uh, and, and I just, I, I, I don't like the feeling of having too many positions open at one time because I just, I, I find that it just kind of pulls me in different directions. I, I end up like hoping something happens because of this one stock, but another stock is doing something else. So, you know, four or five, six positions is, is good enough for me as far as like shorter term trades. Um, as far as longer term stuff, um, I could definitely have, you know, a, a, you know, again, like four or five. I'm still not going to have a, a, a ton. Um, but those because I don't follow those as closely, they don't kind of weigh on me. They don't weigh on me mentally um, because I'm not actually watching them very closely. I just kind of have them in the corner of my screen and I kind of glance at them once in a while, but I'm not following them that closely. Okay, excellent. So as a trend trader, where do you feel is the safest point to enter into a trend? Like what is your confirmation that you're now uh, sort of potentially out of a consolidation period and actually now sort of starting to break into a trend? Are you talking about the overall market or for an individual stock? When you're entering sort of an individual stock, when you're taking a new position. Okay, so I'm mostly a chart pattern trader, like within the trends. So I tend to have pretty like clearly identified resistance levels that I'm looking to buy. Um, so if the market is on an upswing and a stock moves above resistance, like that's my entry. Um, you know, if I was going to work on something uh, going forward, it would be like, hey, if I can get better at buying dips, that would be great. Um, but for whatever reason, just the way my brain works, it's like I'd like playing breakouts from patterns. If it, you know, my favorite my favorite setup is probably just a consolidation pattern within an uptrend. If a stock rallies from you know twenty three up to thirty and then consolidates sideways for a month and then breaks out, that's probably my favorite. Um, that's probably my favorite setup is like a breakout within a trend at the same time the market is you know acting well um, 
so that's it as far as entries go. Um, one thing I've learned over the years is that is is to not um, not sweat the entries. I guess I can say is that you know because if a stock is going to move from you know thirty to forty five, it doesn't really matter if I get in at thirty or thirty point one or thirty point two or even thirty point three or you know to to come up with like you know to stress the entry. Um, I never that never really made me much money. Um, to me, like the money is made like managing the position once you're already in. Um, I don't know if that answers your question, um, uh, but you know, to me, entries are, are less important than the exits, or the, less important than like the actual plan that you have in place and how you plan on managing the, the trade and whether it's going to be like a shorter term or longer term trade. Um, so, if if I have a strong stock that's acting well and it's like riding a theme, uh, and the market's acting well, then I I try not to sweat the entry too much. Yeah, that does answer the question. And it also sort of leads to another one. And that's sort of if you are entering around so these breakout levels when the stocks or the price is going through resistance, how do you avoid buying into breakouts? Obviously, we're talking about long trades here. Is that part of your strategy as in not sweating the entry too much that you might buy when it's a certain level past resistance? Or are you buying sort of the scent it ticks past? Um, I'm watching it closely. Uh, it, you know, if it's if it's a stock that I like, and I say like, "Hey, this is this is a good stock," and I really like the story here, and like this could be a six month hold, um, I, I could I could buy right as it's breaking out. I could also sometimes I'll buy within the pattern just because I could just kind of tell that like, "Hey, this is a really strong stock, and it's moving up, and it's inevitable that this thing is going to go up, that it's eventually going to break out." Um, so I, I'll buy I'll buy in the pattern sometimes, and sometimes it'll go against me a little bit, but. You know, if if my plan is to hold because I'm riding a major theme, um, I don't sweat the entry and I give it some some space to move around. Um, now, I, do, I would never do that with a short term trade. Um, with a short term trade, I'm much more precise. Like I have an exact you know level that I'm looking to get in at, and I would never let it go against me too much. Um, but with a longer term trade, with a stock that I'm that I, I think could be held for a longer period of time, um, I I've, I've never made money by sweating the entry. And, and more times, I, I should say it a different way, that more times than not, when I pinched pennies on the entry and I was and I was very demanding as far as exactly where I wanted to get in and under what conditions, um, those conditions never happened and I ended up not getting in and then it would, you know, it would move 20, 30, 40% and I would miss out on a trade simply because I, I was demanding something that the market wasn't willing to give me. So if I really like the setup and I really like the stock, um, I don't. I don't know if I have a magic uh, a magic entry formula because I it just it never worked for me. Okay, so if you are taking one of these sort of longer term trades, would you say you sometimes find yourself um, working into a position and buying throughout that period of or the sideways range, so the accumulation or distribution area? You might be sort of buying up in that period. Uh, I, I tend to be all in or mostly all in. Uh, initially, and then if I add to the position, I'm adding to the position position at a higher level. Okay, cool. Yeah, so if it breaks out and it moves like two or three points and pulls back a little bit and finds some support and starts moving up again, then I'll buy there. So I tend, yeah. So if I have like a, a consolidation pattern that lasts a month, I'm not just you know buying every fourth day and just accumulating a position, um, but I'll I'll add after it breaks out and. You know, maybe rests a little bit and breaks out again, or pulls back to some moving average or previous resistance and starts moving up. Then I'll add to my position, um, but I tend to only add at a, at a higher level. Sure. So um, again, on these uh, longer term trades, uh, we could be in for you know a matter of months. 
Do you give any thought to how the fundamentals might affect your trade on this time frame? No, none whatsoever. I have no clue what the fundamentals are. Wouldn't even know how to read a balance sheet. <laughs> <laughs> nice, same here. <laughs> All right, so let's let's keep it moving and let's sort of talk a little bit about, you know, some advice, some general sort of advice for other traders out there. So I've heard you say in the past, um, you're not in control over the market, which I thought was a really interesting point. So if that's the case, what can you actually control? When I judge myself, like how well I'm doing, I don't judge myself based on whether I made money or lost money. I judge myself based on whether I did the right thing, whether I, whether I entered a good position for the right reasons, whether I made good decisions, whether I managed the position well, you know, whether I exited well. Like I, those are the things I judge myself because you can you can get into a position and get lucky, or you can get into a position and be unlucky, and you could ride an emotional roller coaster whether you made money or not, but. Like I, you, you don't always have control over how much money you make or even if you make money, but you do have control over what you do. So when I'm judging myself, I judge myself based on whether I did the right thing because over the course of many trades, um, you know, my P&L is going to be just fine. Okay. So like give an analogy, like in, in baseball, if you judge yourself purely based on whether you got a hit, like what if what if the pitcher fooled you and you threw the bat out and you hit it off the end of the bat and it barely went out into the outfield and, and, you, and you got a hit? Well, that was a bad at bat because you were out on your front foot, you got fooled, you didn't take a good cut, um, but you got lucky. Uh, but there could be, you can have another at bat where like you work the count, you follow pitch off, the pitcher makes a mistake, boom, you hit a line drive and you hit it right at someone. Okay, so like in that case, you you did everything right. It was a good solid at bat, but you just happened to hit it right at someone. So at the end of the day, like I look at that at bat and I'd say, you know what? If you do that every time for the entire season, you're going to have really great stats. And I have that same approach with with trading is that I don't judge myself trade by trade basis based on whether I made money. I I judge myself based on did I do the right thing? Because if the answer to that question is yes, then I know over the course of you know, 20, 30, 50 trades that the, the money will take care of itself. Yeah, that's really well said. Is there a common trait you find amongst the successful traders that you've met? Yeah, I would say there's there's one thing that stands out. The, the, the obvious thing is you can never, ever, ever like let a small loss turn into a big loss. That's just like the kiss of death for any trading or any trader at any level. You just simply can never, ever, ever let a small loss turn into a big loss. But the one thing that is um, probably most consistent is that uh, most consistent among the, the the really good traders I know is that they've special they specialize in doing one thing really well and they don't deviate from that whatsoever. Um, and and this goes for like this goes for traders who make millions. I'll, I'll tell you a story. Um, <clears throat> it was many years ago. It was it was actually fairly close to when I was first starting out. Um, I was at a Cubs game with my brother. My brother was a trader on the floor of the, the, the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And so I was at a Cubs game with him and like 10 or 12 traders from the Merc. And these guys were like really, really good independent traders. They made, you know, anywhere from like a couple hundred grand to like a couple million a year. Um, really good traders, not, not like hedge fund traders. They're not, they're not trading billions. But as individual traders, they were as good as, as you can get. And I'm sitting there next to my brother and he says, you see that guy over there? He he trades just the five minutes, the first five minutes of the day. The market opens. He looks for one specific thing. If it happens, he he takes a trade. If it doesn't happen, he walks off the floor five minutes later. And I was like, really? 
And he said, you see that next guy? He only trades um, the unemployment report. That's it. He shows up to work once a month. He knows more about the unemployment numbers than anybody. He knows he, he can tell you anything you want to know about them, exactly how the market's going to react. He only shows up to work once, once a month, trades just that report, and he makes like 300 grand just on that report once a month. And he went down the line and he told me, generally speaking, he didn't know specifics of what each person's, uh, each trader's trade was, but he went down the line and he was able to tell me, generally speaking, like what each guy did. And I thought like, wow, these are, you know, these are really good traders. They're million dollar traders. Um, these are guys who pay five, $6,000 a month in order to lease a, a seat on the floor of the Merck, yet they're so specialized and zeroed in on just, they, they found something that works for them. They found something that works. They found something that kind of jives with their personality, something that they're able to, to execute. And they just do that one thing over and over and they don't deviate from that whatsoever. Um, and that, that hit, that hit me pretty good. You know, that was like in my first couple of years of trading, uh, and it made me realize that like, okay, successful traders aren't these brilliant people who could flawlessly float from one trade to the next. Cause there's a, there's a million products out there. You could trade long-term and short-term. You could day trade, you could trade technicals, you could trade Fibonacci and, or moving averages. And I mean, there's, when you consider all the different products and all the different ways to slice and dice the market, there's literally a million different ways to trade. And yet these guys who are like really great traders, they had zeroed in on just doing one thing doing it really well. They don't. They didn't deviate from that, and they just stuck with that. And that, that kind of that that was reassuring to me because I was thinking, you know, at the beginning I thought like I have to be really smart, I have to be very knowledgeable, I have to like understand all these reports and this and that. And that made me realize that like that's that's kind of a relief. That's that's actually like a big relief. You mean? And I and I thought to myself like, wow, like I could just find one simple thing that works and just zero in on that and just do it. And I don't have to. I don't have to have a PhD in finance in order to do this. Um, <clears throat> so that was a huge relief. And so to answer your question, as far as like, what is the you know what is the one common characteristic that I see among uh, successful traders? I would say that's it. Is that they're like really specialized in just doing one thing really well, and they just do it over and over, uh, and they and they don't. You know, one of the one of the problems that newbies have, or like traders that are just starting out, is they have what's called they do what's called style drift, where they're trading one way, and then like two weeks later they get exposed to a different strategy, and because what they're doing isn't really working that well, they suddenly change. They're doing stochastic one week, and then you know, in a month later they're they're trading like an MACD crossover system, and then the week after that they're doing Fibonacci retracements and this and that, and like six months later they realize if they would have just stuck with their original plan, they would have just they would have done just fine. But by jumping from one thing to the next, um, they basically just treaded water for six months. So <clears throat> that's the one, that's the biggest common characteristic I see among successful traders is that they've just kind of honed in on something that works and they've just ignored everything else. Yeah, that's a really great story. And, you know, thank you for sharing that, Jason. On the other side, are there any obvious traits that you see amongst traders who don't succeed? Yeah. So first of all, traders that don't succeed like they don't have a plan um they just don't I, I don't they hope they fantasize they dream they want things to do they want things to go their way but they don't have a plan they don't they don't know what they'll do if the market goes up they don't know if the, what they'll do if the market gaps up they don't know what they'll do if the market gaps up and then sells off um 
they pretty much just wing it. They, they get into a position and they don't know where their stop is. They don't know if it's a shorter term trade or a longer term trade. They don't know if they're going to <clears throat> scale out. They don't know if they're going to add to a position if it you know breaks out and it pulls back. Um, they literally just fly by the seat of their pants and they just don't actually have a plan. I mean, which is, I mean, think, think about like a, a football team here in the United States. Can you imagine if they just showed up and didn't have any sort of game plan? I mean, that would be, that, that would never happen. I mean, they spend an entire week looking at game films and actually practicing certain plays. And based on, based on the type of defense that the opposing team is likely to be playing, they actually work out, you know, they practice many different plays in order to like capitalize on that. Um, and traders have to do the same thing. They have to have like a detailed plan. And even if, even though like 90% of the plan like will never matter because they'll 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 contemplate like well what will I do if the market does this or what will I do if the market does that um, and you know if they have like 10 different scenarios that they've kind of thought out like obviously like most of them aren't going to happen um, but going through the motions of having a plan is extremely helpful it's a stream, extremely helpful exercise so that's 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 like a big thing is that they they just don't have a plan they like if you sit down and say what you know? What's your plan today? What are you going to do if this happens? What are you going to do if that happens? You know, play devil's advocate. Um, they need to do that, but they don't. Um, another thing they do is like, as I just explained, is like style drift. They're like constantly jumping from one strategy to the next, to the next, to the next, to the next. You know, one day they're you know, one day they're swing trading stocks and they're used, they're playing chart patterns. And the next month they're they're you know they saw something on a message board, so they got tempted to do Fibonacci retracements and now instead of playing breakouts they're buying um, pullbacks and maybe they want to do you know slap a, a technical indicator on there and they're just constantly shifting from one to the next to the next which is necessary you have to do that when you first start out because in order to zero in on like what works for you you have to actually kind of experiment with several different things but once you zero in on what works you have to stick with it and not not be tempted to go elsewhere so that's another big thing is like just style drift they're constantly changing um, another thing is like they don't take a loss. They're like afraid. You know, they get in a position that goes against them. They should get out, um, but they bargain and negotiate with the market. They, you know, they, they think like, oh, if it can just go back up, and I'll get out break even. And then it goes against them more. And then they say like, well, if it could just go back up to where it was two days ago, then I'll get out with a small loss. And then it keeps going against them. And before they know it, you know, a perfectly normal, no big deal loss turns into a huge loss. And now they're in a big hole. So that that's a big you know, problem they have. And not only do you, not only do they, they suffer because of the money that they lost, but they also, um, you know, their confidence is shot, their emotions are shot. Um, and, and it just spirals from there. Um, another information, another problem they have right now is like information overload. It's, it, it wasn't, it wasn't a problem when I first started, but it is right now with like, you know, TV is less prevalent now than probably back then. Uh, but with all the websites and the blogs and the services and you know Twitter and stock twits and like there's no end to the amount of information that you can get and like no matter what a trader wants to do or what their opinion is they could easily go find some support for that opinion. Um, so th those are the main things. It's like they don't have a plan. They constantly changing their strategy. Um, they don't take a loss. You know they they don't know how to zero in on just doing something and kind of ignoring all the information that's out there. So I guess if you flip all that around and you want to know like how to become successful, it's like hone in on something that works and works for you. Have a plan, have a detailed plan exactly what you're going to do in different scenarios. You know, dedicate, you know, make, you know, make a deal with yourself that you'll never, ever, ever take a big loss or never, ever let a small loss turn into a big loss. 
and just hone in and, and try to ignore like all the information that's out there because most of it's just noise. Yeah, that's awesome, Jason. All right, well, that pretty much brings us to the end of the interview. So um, thanks a lot for coming on and talking about these answers in such great detail. It's really awesome. I think listeners will be able to take a lot away from this one. You're welcome. Thanks for having me on. If anyone's got any questions for Jason, just go to chatwithtraders.com forward slash Jason and scroll to the bottom and leave a comment and post up any question. Jason will be keeping an eye on that and happy to help you out where he can. Before we let you go, Jason, do you just want to share with listeners where they can find out more about you and connect with you? Yeah. So I have a, I have a website where I, where I offer market analysis and, and trading ideas <clears throat> to hedge funds, independent traders, financial advisors, and that's leverbrothers.com. Um, so you can reach me there. Um, the, probably the best way to reach me is to actually just go to leverbrothers.com and just go to the contact us page. Like I get all the emails that are sent there. Um, I'm on Twitter, but I don't use it that much. So best place to go is just go to leverbrothers.com and contact me through the website. Awesome. All right. Well, um, we will put links to your site in the show notes so people can check that out. And again, if you've got any questions, just go chatwithtraders.com forward slash Jason and leave a comment. That'd be awesome. All right. Thanks a lot, Jason. Let's uh, talk soon. Thanks for having me on, Aaron. You've come to the end of this episode of Chat with Traders, but don't worry, more great episodes are on the way. To stay updated with each great new episode, be sure to subscribe to the podcast in iTunes, and we'd love it if you leave us a rating and review. We'll see you next time on Chat with Traders.